ASI, episode 52, season 3 of the podcast. My name is Russ Shaw. The website is ASI247.org. Kicking it off with some killers. Check out the music that I play on the show, ASI247.org. Click on the music tab. Um, also had a listener who recommended that I put together a Spotify playlist. And I have done that, at least for season three. Uh, I'll try and figure out a way to link that from the website, ASI247.org. Again, clicking on the music tab in that area. Uh, bear with me. So I figure out how to do that. Doing a kind of best of ASI show today. Um, wanted to play for you an interview I did back in 2011. Uh, Mike Wilkerson, who wrote the book Redemption, Freed by Jesus from the Idols We Worship and the Wounds We Carry. I am still a big believer in redemption groups and the redemption book. Redemption groups, when they're done right, really encourage an environment of openness and transparency and confession and in you know with people that are safe right other sinners who are all looking to Jesus who are right uh, hands out empty hands reaching for God in in a way that is seeking to uh, you know bring some healing to some of these stubborn sins that we have that we keep repeating sometimes over and over again. And while Mike and myself are no longer um, at Mars Hill Church, Mike and his wife Trish Wilkerson left the church earlier in the year, uh, moved to St. Louis to pursue other interests. His wife Trish was also involved with redemption groups and wrote a book called Everyday Worship for the Ladies. That's out there on Amazon if you want to check that out as well. The redemption group process was birthed out of many hours struggling with uh, folks with addictions and unwanted behaviors and uh, disabilities and mental illness and talking in groups with men and women over the course of years. Not just Mike, but uh, James Noriega and, and some of these leaders who really got into Phil Schmidt. I mean, these guys who dug in with and walked alongside of people who were struggling in one of the most unchurched areas in the United States for many, many years. Gritty Seattle and even more poignant, the, the Ballard neighborhood, which isn't known for moral uprightness, all right, just to say, throwing that out there. Another reason I wanted to replay this interview is it's kind of prophetic when it comes to some of the news that we've heard from mega churches here in the United States. I'm not just talking about the church that Mike and I love, but are former members of. This controversy uh, of Mars Hill Church is nothing compared to some of the other stuff that's going on um, in Florida, uh, just there's just a lot of brokenness when it comes to large churches um, recently. Truth is, every single one of us lives in these earth suits, right? Our flesh, it gets fatigued. It gets hangry, right? Hungry and angry. If we're honest, we're all a bit of a misfit sinner saint's. Right? With this kind of stubbornness that just 
we get burdened down and we feel the weight and the stresses of life. And Jesus said, you know, come to me, those who are heavy burdened, and, and I'll give you rest. The ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? Jesus says that attitude of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you, you'll be filled. Um, it's, it's, it's what I love about this book and, and redemption groups. It's, you know, learning to be free from bitterness and the lies we believe about our own self-images. The ripple effects of the things that we've said or done that we can't take back. And the tempting illusion of the seductress named Control. Who would have us believe that in our own submission to our own will, we would be free from that. Free from that feeling of guilt or inadequacy or feeling beat up, bloodied, laying on the ground and thinking we have to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps in order to get back on our feet. When Jesus says, come to me, you are heavy burdened, right? Put your hand up, put your hand out. Being in these kind of groups openly and honestly is a way to just smash that ego-driven enslavement to self, the destructive illusion of control just furthers and fuels our dependency on isolation and judgmentalism. In some of those early days when I was involved in that, right, from 2006 and 2000, up to 2008, redemption groups had a, a pretty big impact on my life as a guy walking through a dark season, um, getting free from my chemical romances and sexual addiction left me with a raw feeling, right? And dealing with some of the past, my history, um, sexual abuse that, that happened to me as a kid, um, I spent 36 years convincing myself I wasn't a victim Right, I'm not gonna live. I'm not that victim, right? I'm not that guy. Um, but I had some real wounds that I needed to walk through, and and that process really did help me out. I wasn't perfect. It was messy, uh, but yeah, man, um, I believe in redemption groups again. Um, I I saw in gritty Ballard before all the you know, campuses, the healing and redemption. And it was beautiful. Jesus says the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly, he says. He says, my, my sheep will hear my voice and want to follow. There's freedom, all right? There's freedom from the idols we worship and the wounds that we carry. People, I have seen addicts freed from heroin, from pornography addictions, from alcoholism. I've seen people with disabilities, things beyond their control that find freedom in Christ to live their lives and be fully alive. Um, so for the idol worshipers and the wound carriers, the sick, the broken, the killers, the misfits, those who love social distortion, the control junkies, and the naked emperors who've been feeling a chilly draft for quite some time. You know, the ones who are quick-witted at times and hostile, cranky, driven misfits. Hangry and fatigued, hope distracted, impatient, obsessive saints with a sweet tooth for self. You and me, right? There's freedom for you and me, right? That's, that's you and me. The truth of the cross is Jesus wanting to, because he loves us and he desires for us to have more life, right? John 10, 10. And maybe that's the devil's greatest con, attacking some of the most prosperous, fast-growing churches. And that's the warning in Revelations 2, right? Go back and do what you did at first. 
some of these mega churches with the issues today, man, don't lose your first love. That way we'd forget what we did at first and forget about that hunger and thirst for righteousness. That we would get so driven or despondent that we would forget about our dependency on our shepherd and our Lord. That in Ephesus, they saw so much change and so much freedom and the slow fade got back in that the slow fade would invade some of the most successful churches in this very Ephesus-like culture, especially here in the United States. We say it's all about Jesus, but we forget about the miraculous parting of the Red Seas and the lives of the former criminals and drug addict, drug dealer, perverts like myself. Most of the gravity that our spirit carries is that heavy stuff that can't be put on a scale. And we all will place our faith in something. That's just the truth of our human condition. We will take the very heavy stuff that you can't put on a scale, that unprovable thing that we do put our faith in, we'll put it in something. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11 in the Bible, is dedicated to faith. What is faith? Um, verse 6 goes like this. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, the light at the end of the tunnel is Jesus Christ. It's God who walked among us in human flesh and calls us to him, arms outstretched. And faith in him is not just, you know, existential, this is as good as it gets, I just need to survive thinking that the promises and rewards in Scripture aren't just shallow prosperity desires and philosophy, right? But that they are there to exercise our faith. It's actually having faith that he does answer prayer, that he does want good for us, that he does and has redeemed us, and that he does and has set captives free even when we confess the things we're so scared and freaked out to bring out into the light. God's there, and he loves us, and he doesn't reject us. If we'll just open our eyes, have eyes that see and ears that hear, it's getting back to our first love. It's Jesus Christ who sets us free from the idols we worship and the wounds we carry. Here you go. This is Mike Wilkerson. And myself from 2011. Yes, God is love, but God is just, and we are separated in our darkness. So God let Him, who knew no sin, to become sin, to make us right with Him. It's not about religion or earning God's forgiveness, but magic prayers and new behavior. It's all about your heart to meet you where you are. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ as Lord. Jesus is the truth, the life, the way. When we love, we earn the right to speak the truth. When we speak truth, we show the world we truly love. I'm not pointing my finger, I'm holding book Redemption, Freed by Jesus from the Idols We Worship and the Wounds We Carry. Um, Mike, glad to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Russ. Um, first question I have about this book, man. First of all, I wanted to just uh, lay it out there for the listeners that you and this book and redemption groups here at Mars Hill Church had a great impact on me. So mm. this is an honor 
and a privilege to have you on the podcast. Um, I have uh, a relationship with this book from when you guys started handing it out on just copied pieces of paper, you yeah. know, in chapters in, in, at the Ballard campus here, yeah. doing redemption groups those first few nights, and you mm -hmm. were speaking, and um, yeah, dude, you've touched me more than, than you can imagine. And uh, I just wanted to ask, why why redemption? Where, where where were you at when you got together and you started putting this thing together? We uh, we really want to help people um, here at Mars Hill and, and even beyond Mars Hill. But the when you look at all the people that need help, uh, it's 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 quite a broad range, you know. But the the two specific kind of focal points would be those who'd dealt with evil in terms of the evil that had come against them, especially abuse, especially childhood sexual abuse. Um, but that's really, that's a, that's a very ex extreme, hard, severe example of, of evil and, and the enslavement uh, to evil and being, being bound in darkness. So there's, a, there's an aspect of slavery there. And then the other group of people that we really want to help were people who are enslaved in what we might call an addiction, so habitual sin. And, uh, and that's, that's pretty easy to recognize the, the slavery metaphor there. Uh, although, you know, to borrow Ed Welch's term, it's a really a voluntary slavery. You know, right. addiction is kind of the thing that, you know, on day one you choose it because you think you're going to get something good out of it, and on day, you know, 5,000 it seems like it's choosing you. And so it is a slavery but it's one that you volunteered for, you signed up for it. So both of these groups, the ones who are dealing with really extreme sufferings of, of evil coming against them, and also those who are dealing with the enslavement of the evil coming out of them in their addictions, um, and, and, and th there's so much overlap in the sins and sufferings of the two. You, you know, we, we used to have groups for those who really were dealing with the sufferings, the abuse, and they talk for a while and come to find out in, in response to some of those intense sufferings, they develop these addictions, you know, right. or, and then we had groups that were for those who were addicted to, in all kinds of ways, substances, sexual, sexual perversion and pornography, all kinds of things. You talk to them for a while and you find out other things that are going on in the context of their life include these intense sufferings. So you just see that this slavery motif is, is really strong and, and equally fitting for both. It turns out, um, the Exodus story in the Bible is the is the backdrop for when the New Testament talks about redemption and redemption in Christ. That the Exodus narrative, that story, that motif is is really what's going on in the background. And so it's a picture of God's people being enslaved in 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 suffering. Really, in the early chapters of Exodus, is what's most um, is, is what's most communicated there. But then you find out later, turns out they were worshiping the idols of Egypt themselves. So you get this mix, this complex intertwining of the sins and the sufferings with this slavery motif there. And the Exodus story is, is God in his, in his faithfulness, in his covenant faithfulness, he made a promise to his people to deliver them. Right. And he's going to do that. He delivers them from Egypt but then he goes to work on them in their hearts because, you know. And that's really what I love about it. Not to yeah, cut you off, but that's, that's really what I love about the book. Is it's just not, it's not a book that says, here's how not to be addicted, right? right? And it really goes beneath that. That's right. And, and like what you said, I, I, I'm going to enter in a little bit on what yeah. you said earlier about um, it's really something we choose. We sign up for slavery, so yeah. to speak. But I think... It's kind of like this short perception span. I talk about a lot in the show. Yeah. Like there's a lot of solutions that people throw out, out there mm -hmm. that sound really good on paper, but they don't, it doesn't go to the heart of the issue. Right. Like if you are varsity in your behavior, maybe you can get there for a little while. But once you're there, why would you stay there, right? Yeah. Um, I guess what, I, what I'm trying to say is that, um, like you said, the, the whole history of Exodus, mm -hmm. Egypt, you know, the the character who is Pharaoh. Yeah, I'm sure that Pharaoh would look back on his life and say, "I didn't sign up for this." Yeah. Well, you you did. Yeah. But it's funny how we're we're in that place. We don't feel like it, right? Like yeah. I don't want to be addicted. I didn't choose this. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of a reaction that came out of me. Yeah. But when I really got down to where my heart was looking for yeah. a place to rest. Yeah. That's where I landed. That's where I learned how to cope. Well, just as a way by analogy, you mentioned Pharaoh. Um, 
I mean, we don't want to press our whole mentality around addiction onto Pharaoh, different situation, right. but it is interesting to note that he had several chances to let God's people go. And, uh, and somewhere along the way, he started saying, okay, if you'll get rid of the frogs, you know, if you'll get rid of the consequences of the plagues, I'll let the people go. And, uh, and then the consequences would be you know, cleared from Egypt, what, whichever plague it was, and then he would change his mind. Right. So once the consequences yeah. were gone, what his heart really wanted most deeply, which was to you know, continue being, in his mind, God of the universe and controlling the people, he went right back to it. In fact, finally his will was broken at the Passover and God took his people out. And even then he realized, what have I done? He went and chased him to the Red Sea. So there is an analogy there to that addictive mentality that you're doing exactly what your heart wants to do. And, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes you'll... You'll, you'll swear to never do it again and, and stop it. It's like once the consequences are gone and mitigated, what your heart most wants to do, it, it kind of goes right back to unless something radical happens in your heart. And that's, that's what we really are trying to get to in the book Redemption is, um, is, uh, is how God changes us all the way down to our desires. Those very desires that have enslaved us, He, he does work even there in those right. depths of the heart. It's punching through... Basically, on the last podcast, I talked about the difference between autonomy and religion, how they're very much the same, but at the same time, we just kind of have come up with our own morality. And even in religious circles, like there's a lot of people who will say, well, I know all this. I know this story, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mike, I've studied the Bible. I went to Bible college. That guy's listening now. He may know the story of Exodus. He may just know the story of the gospel. But this is really when that religion, when that head knowledge collides with the heart, doesn't it? Because it's news, isn't it, the gospel? It is news. And you know what? Um... You, those those people, and I would include myself in that, I've been in that same place, wouldn't be the first people to be really familiar with the story of the Bible and have no clue and for it not to penetrate their heart. That's why Jesus was uh, was so confrontational with the religious leaders of his day because they'd studied the Bible. They were the Bible experts. That's they right. were the religious leaders and the Bible experts, and they missed Jesus. They yeah. And, and they missed how what, what he's really aiming at was something at their heart. So the irony is they used the very scriptures that God had given them to expose their hearts and to, sh- and to point to Jesus. To, they used those very scriptures to, to hide their hearts and to obscure the message of Jesus. So that is the nature of the sinful human heart is that we, we miss it. And not only do we miss it, we sometimes use the trappings of religion as part of the addiction. So... The appendix in, in the redemption book is on religious addiction, which right. count, biblical counselor David Pallison actually says is, is worse than a heroin addiction because, because, it, because it comes with the authority, seemingly with the authority and the approval of you know, your favorite Bible texts and uh, commentators yeah. and preachers. Now, now, it doesn't really... It's like crack for your pride. That's right. <laughs> and so we end up using all those trappings of religion to reinforce a religious addiction, which, unfortunately, in my case, in my actual case, and you see this in Chapter 8 of the book, the religious addiction actually strengthened the sexual addiction. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the bigger idol, and it was the worst slavery, that until, until that idol was put in check, the religious addiction, I, I didn't get any freedom. From right. sexual addiction. And there's a suffering that goes on there that I think that I gave up on in my faith. Sadly, I was just addicted for so long and I was so hopeless and I just kind of started to not believe it because I started to, all the religion that I could try and fill myself with, try and stuff in from the outside just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. So I think my heart just started to go to, you know, default to despair. Yeah, And really, one of the great things and, and that's touched me from your book and from your material and from really understanding the story of the gospel in the redemption of sinners mm-hmm. is that, and it's something you mentioned, you have a whole chapter on it, um, God doesn't hate us when we're suffering, right? Right. It's not punitive. God's not whipping us into, into you know, being a better person, is it? Yeah. Yeah. He is a father. Even when even when we uh, are disciplined, Hebrews twelve talks about. Ultimately, this is something that you know a father loves his children, and right. he he does discipline his children. But the thing is, is that when you have this kind of harsh um, 
this this harsh picture of it, all of a sudden he's unjust and he's out of control in his anger and um, and that's just not that's not the picture. Even even when the Bible wants to talk about uh, when God disciplines, and it may be a heavy discipline at times, but even when he wants to discipline his kids, he's this loving father and he has a good purpose and it is corrective and it ultimately is going to bring about this 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 fruit of righteousness and peace and joy. Because when I when I discipline my kids, it's because what they're doing is is going to wreck their lives and ruin them and everything else. And I want them to know greater peace and joy. And so, right. and uh, and so that's that's uh, that's the way the father disciplines his kids. But unfortunately, um, we don't always know exactly what's going on in our suffering. And if and if we jump straight to oh, this is horrible and God must be punishing me, but I don't know why and. That's not clear, but there's just this harsh kind of condemnation. Well, that's the way the enemy talks, you know. Yeah. And I think he even wants to suggest at times how God is punishing us because he he wants to persuade us with the same thing that he wanted to persuade Adam and Eve with in the garden, which is he doesn't really love you. He really is withholding good, so he's probably really doing evil to you and and yeah. punishing you and has These no good lies intentions. that he continues yeah. to and. You know, so throw at us. So we really, if there's any time we really need to to know the the character of God, it would be in the midst of our suffering. All right. And so you see that uh, how much he he loves his his kids when he sees them suffering in Egypt, in Exodus. He, they're 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 a treasured possession to him, and he rescues them. Right. And it's funny how when we're suffering, some of the stuff that we come up with as we verbalize some of our pain and suffering, we tend to promulgate it. Right, and in the in the light of the ninth commandment, you know, don't lie to your neighbor. I think that some of the religious types, and I've got emails from folks who just were like, I didn't realize I was doing that. Like, right. I didn't realize that I had not got the gospel. I mean, these are guys who have been, you know, in college and Bible college and 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 stuff like that, but. I guess, Mike, that's really the lie that we believe, don't, isn't it? And Jesus touches on it when he says, you know, you, you talk about me constantly, your hearts are far from me. Right. So go into that a little more. Well, yeah, I mean, what... the, 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 the theme of, of lying is very close to addiction. I mean, right. as you just said, I mean, the enemy was lying, and he's he's lying about the character of God there in the, in the Garden of Eden. Um for sure, but you also see it really clearly in addiction. Sin is deceitful. Hebrews 3, around verse 13, talks about how we need to be exhorting one another because of you know our hearts may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin, sin lies, and as a result, it, it blinds us, results in a spiritual blindness. And so that's another aspect of the voluntary slavery. We start telling lies that we kind of forget our lies, and we sort of believe them, and now we're trapped in this web of lies, and now we've got self-deception. We we are lying to ourselves, and we believe the lies, and we forget their lies, and it just becomes this this darkness, you know. First right. John one round verse eight, I think, talks about how when we deny that we have sin, we're we're deceiving ourselves, and we're calling God a liar, you know. Right. So this this sin pattern, these ingrained addictions, they have a lot to do with the lies and the effects of the lies in terms of hardness of heart and spiritual blindness. Uh, so even where we may be able to see other things real clearly, uh, we don't see ourselves. So you get the kind of the plank speck problem that Jesus yeah. talks about. And that's part of what happens with religious addiction is we become so, you know, it's like our focus, our eyesight becomes so powerful and laser focused on all kinds of other issues out there, maybe even other people's sins, and we're becoming blinder and blinder and blinder to our own, possibly even marshalling the same verses to somehow justify ourselves and so you can just see how the lies run rampant and they end up reinforcing and strengthening uh, these addictions like a sick kind of survival isn't it oh it's it's sick yeah 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 and you touch on that in the book as well manna you know yeah in in what they did in, in trying to just survive and god gave them to survive at that time but right go into that a little bit what is manna for yeah so uh, so what happened there when they when they came out of Egypt? God had uh, provided for them first of all a promise, and then He made good on His promise. He delivered them out of Egypt, and you know you see them coming out of Egypt. Finally, He keeps His promise. Uh, so He's given them freedom. They came out with the plunder, the gold and the silver, and the clothing of Egypt. 
And, uh, and then <clears throat> he gives them victory over their enemy, ultimately, at the Red Sea. I mean, that's, just, that's, that's an amazing picture to, to give them victory over their enemies. They're, so they got the dead bodies of the Egyptian army washing up on the, on the, the shore there of the Red Sea. And then uh, they get into the wilderness, and it's like they've, it's almost like they forgot that God's big enough to provide miraculous beyond what they could ever imagine. And when they get to the wilderness, they don't know where they're going. And, you know, they don't have food supplies. Even if they brought some stuff, some food with them from Egypt, you know, they're not going to make it all the way across the wilderness with millions of people. Right. And so they started freaking out. And um, and so the, the point here is that there's nothing wrong with wanting to eat. And it really is uh, a crisis in a sense. They don't know where the food's going to come from. The problem is this little, this little trial of how are we going to eat exposes their hearts and, and really how unbelieving they are. Because they don't just say, for example, a faithful prayer might have been, God, we don't know where food's going to come from, but we know that you made us, you know, to need food, and you're the creator and you're good, and you've shown your goodness, not only in creation, but also in redemption. You, brought, you showed your goodness and your power to bring us out of, of Egypt, so we're putting all our hope on you to provide for us our sustenance to get across the wilderness, because you said you're going to take us to the promised land, so you must have a plan to sustain us. You know, it's almost like Abraham taking Isaac up to be sacrificed. You made a promise, and you told me to sacrifice Isaac. I don't know how these two go together, but it must go together somehow, so I'm going to keep moving forward in faith. They didn't pray that prayer of faith. They said, what are you trying to do, bring us out here and kill us all with hunger? You know, uh, we could have died in Egypt, <laughs> you know? So there's, there's, they just lost faith again, and they keep doing it over and over and over again. But God, actually, at that point, later on you see him sort of flooding them with manna and quail as a judgment, because two years later they're still grumbling about the food. And around about Numbers 11, he judges them, but you see he's very slow to anger. He shows up with this this language in Exodus 34, you know, he's merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. He's slow to anger, and he was slow to anger when they grumbled about the manna. He actually provided miraculously for them, showing... In a way, I'm not only the God who's big enough to redeem you from your slavery, I'm big enough to provide every single day what you need to be sustained. Right. And Jesus in John chapter 6 picks up on this theme. Here you have Jews once again, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're grumbling, you know, they want more bread. He's just fed the 5,000 and they're saying they want more. And he's saying, they said, you know, prove it to us that you're really who you say you are, you know. Uh, you know, our fathers ate bread in the wilderness, you know, and Jesus said, well, you know what? I'm the, I'm the bread from heaven. Right. Take, take me. I'm what you need every single day. And so, you know, what's interesting in the Christian life is that sometimes we, we understand how Jesus, you know, sort of frees us from sin and in some kind of, in an ultimate sense, and we become Christians and then we forget he's the bread every single day to sustain us. And so, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, Jesus saves us so we know we're going to go to heaven, but every day we survive by this junk food that we eat that's poisoning us. Sometimes it's, it's the, whatever the, the substance is of the, the addiction, the, the, the pornography or the alcohol or the shopping or the gambling or the right. whatever it is. You know, the relationships that are intoxicating and prove to us that we're okay and significant. Uh, that's what we feed on every day. And we're pushing Jesus aside. It's almost like, thank you, Jesus, for my ticket to heaven. Between here and the promised land, I'm going to survive on junk, you know, and poison. But in fact, it shows we don't really believe him for what he's really offered. He is the manna in the wilderness every single day. Instead, you know, in our unbelief, we have these grumbling hearts, you know, never, right. never satisfied and never savoring how good he is to sustain us every single day. Yeah. He's the promised land. Yeah. yeah, he's he's the redemption. He's the promised land. He's the manna in the wilderness. That's you right. know. Yeah, I just watched uh, the Don Treader um, over the weekend, and I love that. See, in the book, it's better, you know. But the, the little agree. mouse in the book. I agree. I, the book is better. <laughs> yeah, way better. But the but the little mouse who isn't yeah. so little in the film. Yeah. But he, I love his heart that he yes. realizes he's not built for this place. That's right. You know, and he's constantly, you know, I, I just love his attitude and the way Lewis wrote him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, when he finally at the at the end of the film, he goes into. I mean, that's that's Jesus. That's heaven. That's. You know, we get Jesus. We don't get a new car necessarily. You know, 
we don't get the the big house. I mean, the, the economic state of our yeah. our country right now is also kind of rubbing up against faith as well. Yeah. And I think it's also has people, you know, questioning their faith. Like I thought I was going to get a new car. I mean, really, there is people that believe that because it's something that's been sold to them, a lie that's been promulgated to them for so long um, that the promised land is my financial stability, my, yeah. you know. Yeah, we have all kinds of definitions for promised land. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Believing the lie. Of- and then we wonder when, when we're not getting those goods, if that's really, it, it exposes where our faith has been anchored because then you start to question, um, you know, who is God and is this, is this real? Because it's not working, you know, I'm not getting the, the stuff I expected, you know. Uh, in, in chapter 8 of the book where I talk about the promised land, I, I look at uh, uh, Christian Smith's uh, research and his, you know, what we put together to label kind of the, the, the dominating beliefs of our age. Uh, he calls moralistic therapeutic deism. And, uh, and, and, and one of the five of the tenets of this faith that he's, that he's, uh, he's constructed to summarize, you know, you got Ten Commandments here in Exodus, well, these are sort of the five pillars of the faith, if you will, of moralistic therapeutic deism. One of them is that the basic idea of life is, is uh, you know, is to be happy. I mean, that the, that's yeah. the basic goal of life. And so, in, in other words, to use our language here, it is sort of to have your promised land, you know, to yeah. have your promised land now. And if you think that is what the Christian faith is about, is it is it is one religious system that helps you attain the basic goal of the human life, which is being happy, and then you define your happiness as, you know, the economic goodness, then once that falls apart, you know, you're you're questioning everything, you know, who, yeah. who is God, and, and so no wonder people would, would uh, go into despair. I remember uh, in Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, he talks about how when uh, a lot of the economic stress first started hitting, and you had people on Wall Street jumping out of windows, right. you know, because everything in their lives had to do with the god of money, you know. The promised land was was that money, and it started falling apart. And yeah. so it showed what they worshipped. They were jumping out of windows. Yeah. They went from having hundreds of millions, I've read some of these stories, from hundreds of millions to a couple of million, still enough to live a, a good life on. That's a pretty good life, yes, Yeah, me. And, and they're <laughs> jumping out window. You're right. And it's like that that god is such a it, it grips the heart doesn't it yeah and i think just to use that example that's that's a helpful way to see that addiction and what's going on in the heart it's not just about like alcohol or drugs or some of those typical things those those people on wall street that jumped out of the windows were addicted yeah exactly and and it's like the god finally came the wages of sin is death it's like the god's uh, that they worship finally came demanding payment in a sense you know yeah. the 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 basic uh motif the basic pattern the basic rhythms of the heart that that worship of false gods of idols it's it's really the same pattern that's going on and that has just helps you to see it it's there with money you know on wall street and it's there on other streets you know with right. with with the drugs and the alcohol and um the things that are kind of more typical substance-oriented addictions, but at the heart level, um, it's all the same. Yeah, Mike, I uh, I wanted to touch on redemption groups okay. um, because I really believe in them, and you know I I believe I like twelve step and I like um, celebrate recovery. I think the steps are practical. I think once you get a heart change, it's sometimes it's good to have some steps to do. But at the same time, I really appreciate your material for the fact that, man, why can't I do these steps? I mean, there's really people that deal with that. One of the things I've heard from Celebrate Recovery is on week one, you'll have 100 people. By week four, half the room is gone. That's a problem for me. And I think that your material really it cuts to why you would get involved to do a step in the first place and I really man I really believe in redemption groups I really um, like what you guys have started here at Mars Hill Church the book is written where it has questions at the end of each chapter on I mean you could do redemption groups with the book but you also have some stuff on the web on how to uh, get redemption groups going in, in a church as well right 
Yeah, that's right. If you go to redemptiongroups.com slash start for any churches who are uh, interested in starting up redemption groups, that kind of gives you a, a basic idea of, of how to do it, how to get the materials and, and train your leaders. And I think one of the things that's really important to me is, is uh, understanding kind of where we're coming from, our basic, uh, the way we're thinking theologically, and also our basic approach to counseling, a biblical counseling uh, approach. And so there's some, there's a, a, a leader training syllabus there and uh, everything you need really to to get started uh, with redemption groups for those who would want to do that in their own churches. Right. Yeah. You touched on uh, talking about the Ninth Commandment here once again. You touched on in on the website talking about redemption groups that many times in redemption groups you hear people say things like, I thought I would take that secret to my grave. Yeah. And people are, are opening up their hearts. And yeah. Why do you think that is, Mike? Uh, and I think it's, um, I think part of it is that they, they've been in darkness for so long. Mm-hmm. When they hear somebody else start talking about the kinds of things that they're hiding in darkness, but they're right out in the light with it. For example, our, our uh, redemption group leaders, um, you know, what, what our redemption groups do toward the beginning in the first few sessions is they, they start telling their stories, which isn't their whole stories. It's just a part of... You know, let, let me help you know where I'm coming from as we get going in this group together. And the leaders always go first. And when you hear those leaders talking real honestly about the evils that they've they've endured and also that they've done, then you got other people that are listening. One of the things that I've heard, it's I especially appreciated when people from other churches have come to our redemption group immersions for training, so they can be trained to to do it in their own groups. And they say, "Man, we." We didn't realize what this was going to be like until those leaders started telling their stories first. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, oh, we're actually going to talk about that? You know? <laughs> yeah. And so I think what happens is they start to realize, I can talk about that here too, because they just talked about all that darkness. And and they talked about it in the context of, and this is this is where I've, God's been redeeming me. Right. And there's already change that's, that's happening here, and, and rescue, and hope, and comfort, and healing. So, I mean, the leaders are talking about it because there's been some redemption there. That that shows you, uh, I think it makes people want to hope that right. I can actually talk about it. My hope is not in keeping it secret. Yeah. My hope is in getting out of the light because maybe Jesus will heal me too. That's right. You know? Walking into some of those scary, dark places that... Yeah, we just are fear to walk into. I think they're pushing to the crowd, like the woman with the issue of blood. They're pushing to the crowd, thinking maybe I can. Maybe if I just reach out there and it touches the hem of his garment, maybe he'll heal me too. Yeah, and I think at a certain point they really want that, and they they do that, and and he does heal. Yeah, he does. He does absolutely. He gives the Holy Spirit, and yeah. he does heal people from the inside out. Yeah. and it's more than trite religion that's right you know it's more than just quoting scriptures from the the tongue yeah but it's, it's revealing those secrets it's, it's yeah. walking into those scary places it is real that's redemption right. that's right and i just want to add to your list of what it's more than it's more than catharsis you know it's not you know to go back to why would they say these things that they thought they were going to take to their grave it's not just because they're unburdening themselves you know like in a in a in a confessional or something yeah. like now once they finally said it now they're free from it now they're, they're saying it so that it can actually be dealt with and that means when they're confessing the sin you know it's not done because you know they've had their catharsis they've got it out there and now they they've you know they put it out there and they feel better it's something that's dealt with now they but they can see here in this this gospel saturated context you want to bring your sin to the cross where it's actually put to death and and forgiven and cleansed i mean wouldn't you want to bring your sin out into the light not in any old place to just feel better because you got it out there but to the place where the sin is dealt with and when you when you walk away you're actually free from the burden of it you know yeah. and and when you talk about the, the the darkness of the evils that have been committed against you and 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 put these you know that and wounded you wouldn't you want to put that out of the light in the place where there's a healer there that actually heals you you know and changes the way you take your next steps forward so it's not just a catharsis like this emotional you know letting it all out uh it's way way more than that there's actually forgiveness and cleansing and healing that happens when people bring those things into the light that they thought they were going to take to their graves right there's a real thing that happens there by the holy spirit right yeah it's not just uh plastic 
religious. Yeah. No one. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's yeah. it's a real or, heart level or just an emotional. You know, getting worked up emotionally, kind of experience. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not that either. You know? It's not like a concert or a yeah. Tony Robbins seminar. It's That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming up against the real living God. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mike, I I thank you so much for being on the show. Um, again, I uh, appreciate your work here. Uh, the book again is Redemption, freed by Jesus from the idols we worship and the wounds we carry. Um, Mike, I, I would like you to close us in prayer if you could, and uh, any closing thoughts before we do that? I would just, you know, the only closing thought would be to to invite to invite everyone uh, to this God who is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love. That's the thing for me personally. When I, if anybody ever asked me to, to sign a copy of one of these books, which is, I mean, this is the first book I've ever written. So that's really unusual to me as, uh-huh. you know, as a kind of a weird thing to get used to. But I think about what would I want to say to someone who is reading this book, you know, when I'm actually putting my own handwriting to it, what's always in my mind is God's abounding steadfast love, because that sort of the slavery to freedom sort of motif, the fact that it works, you yeah. know, for for the audience that I'm trying to write to, that's really what brought me here, you know, uh-huh. to, to the Exodus. But after being saturated in, in it for, you know, a couple of years and a few years writing the book, I come away with just being in awe at God's abounding steadfast love. Right. I mean, that's what that's what he wanted to tell about himself when Moses said, let me let me see you. In Exodus 34, he says the words that, that that describe all of the way that he's been acting on behalf of his people. And just what, what echoes from that point throughout the rest of Scripture, going back over and over and over again, is God's abounding steadfast love. Right. He, he really does abound in love, and he's, he's faithful. And, uh, and I would just, I would want anyone who's reading this book, anybody who's wrestling with with the darkness of the the wounds of abuse or addiction to be drawn to this god who abounds in steadfast love uh, that's that's what i want them to know that's, right. that's how i would want them to see him revealed in christ all right thanks Mark. Yeah, let me pray for us all right father we thank you for your abounding steadfast love and that that is seen clearly in the exodus and even more clearly at the cross where you you, you showed your love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We see it in Christ who is full of grace and truth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your humility to, to, uh, to put on the human condition, to, to take on humanity, to put on flesh and to dwell among us, tabernacling here. Um, so we know that when you, uh, when you say that you are uh, you're a faithful high priest. You sympathize. You've been tempted in every way. You know, you know what it is to suffer. We know that's really true, actually, and that there's nothing that we've endured, no evils that we've endured that that you're not you're not aware of, and that you you don't know about. You really do, as as uh, as Exodus says, God, that you 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 heard the groans of your people, and you you remembered them, and you you see, you know, you hear. You really do, and in Jesus we see, we see that really putting on flesh. You you see and hear and know in a way that's really personal, and that you've sent your Spirit as well, uh, who who really understands the way we hurt so deeply that Romans eight could even say even even deeper when we when our words fail to express the depth of the pain and the sorrow and the bondage. The Spirit is there interceding even more deeply than we have words for, with groans too deep for words. We thank you that you have loved us so much and that you do offer freedom, freedom from from the evils that have enslaved, both that have come against us and that have come out of us, the ways that we've suffered and the ways that we've sinned. And for many of us who are blind, and, uh, and that enslavement has to do with our self-righteousness and this religious addiction. Even for those of us who've been those religious addicts, you have been slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and we are grateful. We pray that, I, I pray that you would, uh, 
you would show yourself to those who should read this book or find themselves in a redemption group that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would, you would free them. Free them from that bondage. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. The king of contradiction strikes again You said the last to cross the finish line will win And the beggars will be millionaires someday And the humble ones are gonna have their say Well all my friends are gone now And all my money's gone now And all my pride is gone now And if what you say is true now This will be my finest hour So I guess I'll just 